The summer's heat has set itself upon the land, giving bloom to flowers, plentiful tourists, and of course, tropical drinks with little umbrellas. You find it difficult to approach the well-known tavern due to the mass of beings waiting anxiously to enter the building. But you're a regular to the tavern, and the six-foot-seven dark-skinned giant of a woman who works as the bouncer knows you. She glances towards you in the crowd, recognizing you with her silver eyes. With a flex of her bare forearms, the crowd of tourists take a cautionary step back as they fidget with their newly bought attire. Seizing your opportunity, you step within the large oak doors, letting the aroma of fresh-baked bread and sizzling meat waft to your refined palate. The tables are filled with the standard plethora of guests, both new and regular. All of them come to enjoy the drink that's always flowing. You see a stout-looking woman, no taller than the stool she sat upon, dancing a barefooted jig atop a table, as the halfling host named Brandy desperately attempts to save the tableware her feet knock aside. The large turtle behind the bar twirls his long drooping mustache between his long fingernails, smiling as he puts another chalk tally underneath the category dance on the chalkboard atop the cask of Yancey's specialty jigging brew. You find your standard seat at the most prized booth in the tavern, which is perfectly within the line of sight of the bartender. The booth is surprisingly empty and seems to be a source of fear for the rest of the patrons, who make an uncomfortable glance in your direction before returning to their drink. It's at the very moment that you grow comfortable in your spot that the door opens, revealing an imposing figure who steps inside. Seemingly human, with lightly tanned skin, the man's head bears a pair of horns, which curl naturally amid the dark curly hair. His eyes convey a deep power like one which has toppled empires and armies by the dozens. The air growls still for the briefest moment before the large tankard is slid across the bar towards him. He catches it with a nonchalance which follows into his drink, dribbling slightly down his beard of black, which widens into a smile as he sees you sitting in his booth. Seeing the smile, the tavern returns to its rowdy demeanor and drinking. The man sits at the booth, scooching you to the corner as he sips more drink. Glad you could make it. Wouldn't be the same without you. Now if only that damn bloodsucker could arrive on time. With that, the seat across from you fills with a thick black mist, swirling like a fog rolling off the sea. The deep red irises catch your gaze from within as the young, pale-skinned face pushes through the dissipating haze. The man runs his gentle fingers through his blonde, floofed hair. It wouldn't be fashionable to arrive on time. You know my entrances can't simply be anticipated. He looks to you and smiles a warm smile with sharp fangs. Great to see you, friend. Let me order us some drink, he says, as he waves to the nearest server. The young man approaches, obviously new. Um, hello, gentlemen he says, looking to the two men. I don't believe we've met. The warlord spoke as he extended his hand. I'm Matt. I'm Fish. The server nodded politely, then, handing you a menu, smiles. 
Welcome to the Drunken Dragon Turtle. There once was a man named Selenyans who traveled o'er the sea, searching for some golden brew to set the owls right free. But when the eyelids start to crawl, he saw his trip set in. He threw the brew right o'er the side, and to home he did flee. Everyone, fill your glass with the finest air. We'll see if you dance. But if you drink the night away like me, the owls won't have a chance. The dragon turtle coupled up all the special brew. Welcome back to our little booth in the Drunken Dragon Turtle. My name is Fish. <laughs> and I'm Matt. <laughs> and you are joining us once more for our little 501 class on dungeon mastering with the meta in mind. And this time, after going through a full successful arc with the Lich and a playtest and the entire thing with that, we've made a few changes to how we do things, but we now have a, a better grasp of what we're doing with this better grasp more ideas we've got you know we've got the flow down finally so i think i think going forward we're going to be rocking and rolling and pumping out pumping out podcasts and content oh yeah pumping out all the good stuff like this week's episode is specifically going to talk about a brand new boss monster exactly oh watch out we've got it well i'm not going to finish that quote <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what is this new boss monster that we are going to be digging into? So unlike the Lich, the Lich is a common boss monster. You're going to see them in a lot of material. You're going to see them in a lot of books. They're one of the classics. This one, while still originating, coming from second, third edition D&D, you know, they've been around for a long time, but they're not as used. And I think a lot of that comes down to a lot of people don't go exploring in the desert. You don't have a lot of desert material books. You don't have a lot of campaign settings in the desert. I In 5e, I don't think we ever go into a desert so far in all the published material. I think Avernus is the closest thing to a desert. Or wait, hey, Elemental Evils, did you go into the desert at any point for the earth or the wind? I don't remember. I think you might a little bit, but even that's like maybe a level or two, maybe a chapter in the yeah. desert for a little bit. But if that's the only place, then we still don't have a lot of desert material anywhere. And if you can't tell based off we're talking about the desert, we are talking about the boss monster, the Sphinx. Both the Andro Sphinx and the Gyno Sphinx. Kind of weird that they named them out differently, but I, I guess I can kind of see why they did it. And at the same time, it's kind of one of those, eh. All I know is that in the Yu-Gi-Oh! like card game, they had Gyna Sphinx and Andrew Sphinx as separate cards entirely because you've got the female Sphinx and then the male Sphinx. And it's like that whole, I, I think my my ignorant uh, young brain 
assumes that andro is the greek for male and then gyno is the greek for female or is is it not greek or latin i don't remember which one it is I, i'm not sure but gyno would make sense because you know gynecologist is you know a female's uh doctor specializing in you know the female body which is fine it's it's also actually kind of nice that they do have them separate out because it kind of does also show the difference in origins of the sphinxes. You have the sphinxes based off of Egyptian mythology and you have sphinxes based out of Greek mythology. And the Assyrians. Oh my, and then the Assyrians, uh, you have the Greek, the not the Greeks, the sphinxes from all over Asia. It's... It's really nice that even just in these, just having two monsters, just two of them, you cover most of the lore of all sphinxes. Granted, there's not a whole lot to begin with. Yeah, I was going through my book, which I got from Barnes & Noble for, like, the awesome, like, $10 bargain, like, section that they have. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, an entire book on signs, symbols, and, like mythology it's like basically like an index for okay you want to look up the symbolic meaning of a moth okay go to page like 255 and it has like this entire plethora and then it goes to the sphinx section and it just is like this specific thing about egyptian sphinx this specific thing about greek sphinx everyone knows oedipus the end mm -hmm. yeah and that's all they say on it because that's the thing is there's there's not a lot of lore period about them so let's just start with the, the story everyone knows. Well, everyone knows what a sphinx is. It's a lion's body with a human head. It comes from Egyptian and Greek art and legend. Uh, the word sphinx itself is derived from Greek. Although in the earliest Greek texts, it's called a phinx, P-H-I-X, interestingly enough. When did the H get in there? Or when did the, hold on, you said P-H? Anglicized. Oh, yeah, P-H-I-X. You know, but mind you, in even the, those original stories, I mean, let's talk about the 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 winged sphinx of Beothan Thebes, right? The story of Oedipus. The sphinx, she has a riddle. If you fail to answer the riddle, she kills you. What is it that has one voice yet becomes four-footed and two-footed and three-footed? Oedipus gives the right answer. It is... Man! Exactly. Although upon answering said riddle, instead of gaining treasure or, you know, an uh, accumulated wisdom or, you know, some, you know, a really, really powerfully cool advisor. No, the, the Sphinx kills herself. Finally, someone has answered it. This never ending torment to myself. God. Right. But then it's funny that how this story, this being one of the only legends of the Sphinx we have has become that Sphinxes are like omniscient. They, they, they have vast, infinite knowledge and wisdom. In the story for Oedipus, I believe that there was some myth or something around the like origins of it where the Sphinx was said to have come from the gods to curse Thebes for like the, right. the things that they were doing. I'm pretty sure it was specifically to curse the it was to curse the sitting king and queen because they had thrown their son Oedipus from the mountain after hearing the prophecy that their son would kill him. Right. But that is kind of the entire story of how we got the Gynosphinx in D&D. &D. The Gynosphinx is a female-headed sphinx 
They test the courage and valor of supplicants. They are considered divine guardians, descendants from the mm-hmm. gods. They give magical tests and they are extra planar beings. So there's your gynosphinx in a nutshell. It is the Sphinx, the Sphinx of the Oedipus story. And then you go to famously where you see a lot of Sphinxes, Egypt. Earliest and most famous example of a Sphinx in Egyptian art is the colossal Great Sphinx at Giza, Egypt, which dates from the reign of, and I'm going to butcher this, I apologize in advance to all of our listeners, King Khafre, K-H-A-F-R-E. I'm not uh, that close. He's, He's the fourth king of the fourth dynasty, roughly 2575 to 2465 BCE. This is to be a portrait statue of that king, uh, and it's uh, considered royalty. Um, However, um, in Arabic and to the... uh, the Muslim people of the area, they know or they knew the Great Sphinx by uh, a name that I am not going to attempt to pronounce because I will butcher that in half. How about you but spell it? it translates to Father of Terror. Yeah, uh, A-B-U with a line over it. A-L-H-A-W-L. Yeah, we're just going to. Matt's not going to do that. <laughs> Matt's not going <laughs> to step on that landmine, but it translates to the Father of Terror. That being said, you do see that the Sphinx does actually tra- uh, move out of um, Egypt and Greece into Asia. Uh, about 15 BCE, it appears in Mesopotamia. Uh, it was imported from the Levant. Um, the Asian Sphinx differs from the Egyptian model. So the Egyptian Sphinxes uh, were just lion body, person's head. The Asian Sphinx is where you see the addition of wings to the body, which is then also where you see the Sphinx that you get in Oedipus, the winged Sphinx. Right. So the the story of the Sphinx, there's not a lot known. You can kind of trace it through art. But that's really all we know is the most famous story of them, the Oedipus story, which we've already talked about. And then the monument in Egypt. Exactly. And you see them in art, you see them in Greek art, you see them in art throughout Asia, you see them in art in Egypt itself. But outside of that, you don't really see it anywhere else. And then thus you have these two sphinxes that we have now, the Andro Sphinx, the Gyno Sphinx, the Andro Sphinx, the Egyptian inspired Sphinx. Uh, Although it does have wings, it does have a fly speed. Um, But again, you know, Divine Guardian, Magical Test. Uh, they, They did up the ante from the gynosphinx, but what we're going to talk about, because the specific boss we're using is the gynosphinx. Or at least that's our baseline model. Exactly. It's our baseline model. It's a CR-11 creature. And uh, I was going to say, do you just want to take off on what you did, how you modified and changed it to tie it a little bit either closer to the lore or how you made your adjustments? Sure thing, man. Sure thing. Let me just pull out my big old tome from all my days of venturing. Just... blow off all that dust and just slam that on the table. Uh, the Sphinx inherently, the Gyno Sphinx at least, has a plus four proficiency bonus, armor class of 17. It has 136 hit points, which if you look at its specific hit dice is 16 D10 plus 48 for a maximum possible of 208 hit points. Attack bonus of plus eight. 
Uh, it has an average damage per round of 26 points if you're using melee, but if you're looking at the Gyna Sphinx's spell list, it has no offensive spells. Every single thing in there is manipulative or chess piece playing. It doesn't have anything in there for damage, which, funnily enough, in the spellcasting section, it says it has a plus eight to make a ma like a spell attack, which it doesn't do at all. Um, it has its two claw attacks, which go into its average damage. It has a spell save of 16. It has three legendary actions, but I'm not counting those right now because that's if you're wanting to use this as a specific boss, if you're using it for the specific stat block it has. Um, it's a little bit under the mark of a standard CR 11 that you find in the Dungeon Master's Guide on what page again? Uh, if you're looking through the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, I'm using D20, but you're going to be looking in Chapter 9 under Creating a Monster... Uh, you're looking for the table creating quick monster stats. Right. And if you look at that, you'll see that the Sphinx at normal, what's written in the book, is about 100 hit points below the average like hit points of a CR 11. It has one less spell save DC. Instead of a 17, it's a 16. Um, and if it was just on its own without legendary actions, 26 average points of melee damage is nowhere close to 69 to 74 average points of melee damage. So really the only way you can throw this Sphinx out at a party and have it be the max efficiency of ACR 11 is if it's using its bonus actions, which means you can't throw multiple of them at a party at one time, which is kind of sad, but things can be modified with that. Specifically what I did with the Sphinx was I was going off of very much the Grecian model, and going into the the themes and the looks at the Grecian model of the Sphinx, they're always depicted as feral, like ferocious beasts who, if you get the riddle wrong or don't even try, you're just immediately devoured. You are consumed and destroyed by this hideous, fearsome creature. So... I changed the spell list drastically because if you want a creature to be ferocious and hideous and able to destroy you in one fell swoop, but also at the same time, in a certain way, manipulate you into coming into the lair in the first place. And then having to have everyone in the area kind of destroy themselves before the Sphinx even has to show up to keep itself in this fearful position above people. So... Its original three cantrips is Mage Hand, Minor Illusion, Prestidigitation. Get rid of all three of those. This is a beast that is mm -hmm. rarely going to be using its spells. I just gave it Mind Sliver. <laughs> and Mind Sliver specifically is the cantrip where you get to look at someone, deal psychic damage, and they fall prone. Or not fall prone. They have a really bad time. And they subtract 1d4 from the next saving throw it makes before the end of the next turn. It deals like d6s of damage, but it specifically banes them for a turn on a save. Uh, I then gave it for first level charm person, color spray, and illusory script. Illusory script for flavor just to be like so it can write out the riddle in front of people in words so that they'll be able to remember it. Uh, color spray for really messing with people and making it easy to hurt them. Charm person to make them just stand there while you eat them. Level two spells, Tasha's Mind Whip, Phantasmal Force, and Hold Person. Hold Person, very explanatory, I wanna eat you. Phantasmal Force, I'm going to trick you in this way to make you even more fearful that you've got something coming up behind you, distracts you, oh, hey, guess who's behind you? And then Tasha's Mind Whip, 
basically renders you to you either get to use your action, your bonus action, or your movement. You get one of the three, and you're taking psychic damage with that. Um, level three, enemies abound. I love this spell, but you rarely will ever take this as a player because you want this enemy to not accidentally fight one of you. You just want it to fight them. In this case, when you are the main enemy and you're surrounded by people, enemies abound basically charms a person into thinking that every single person around them is an enemy. So if you are one big beast in a room full of like 20 or so people trying to kill you at once, I cast enemies abound on one person, they're going to start thinking everyone's trying to kill them. They die, I cast it on another person, and slowly but surely the group just turns on itself. Major image and hypnotic pattern for very similar effects. Phantasmal killer for already established effect. Hallucinatory terrain, always a good one for showing the area around it as something it's not. Adds into the riddles, adds into the puzzles, things like that. Greater invisibility because why would you want people to see you while you're stalking them and making all these effects happen with your riddles? Uh, finally, fifth level, it has hold monster just because if something bigger is coming at it, want to take care of it. And here's the flavor, dream. Because how are people going to know that it's there unless it's specifically watching people as they pass, giving them a terrible nightmare of a sphinx outside of town, offering treasure to those who solve the puzzle, and just beginning to lure people one by one by one until the rumors like spread out far enough. And then you move locations. Like the, the con, like the serial killer con artist kind of way. Yeah. Um, going into legendary actions, I eliminated the teleport. You did. There is no reason for a feral creature like this to be able to just teleport all around the place. And it gets really bothersome also for a party to have to deal with it in a certain way. So I got rid of that one, but instead I turned it into a feral guise. The feral guise, basically all creatures within 30 feet of the Sphinx must make wisdom saves, DC 17, or become frightened of the Sphinx and become vulnerable to slashing damage because they turned their backs to run away, and the Sphinx uses slashing claws. Hmm. If the saving throw was succeeded by four or more, they're immune to the effect. Okay. But if they keep failing it, they can still be failing it, and it only lasts for one round. Right. So if it, whoever falls for it is going to be the target of the Sphinx. And on its claws... Uh, same damage. It's still got all of its legendary actions for all those things, so it will be doing the average damage for that. But that was the the inspiration for this creature that I have created, this Grecian model. Okay, so you and I went very different, because I went off of the Egyptian model. Hell yeah, man! Uh, so like you, big change I made was I changed its HP from 136, I brought it up to 230, so added almost 100 hit points to it. I did not math how to change that in the, you know... For the dice roller, but whatever. Um, yeah. Other modification I made is I changed its claw attack uh, from 2d8 to 3d8. So it does hit with an 18 claw attack versus a 13. Ah, yes. Um, but a lot of my inspiration for how I changed the Sphinx isn't necessarily really its spell list. But this Sphinx is... You know, I, I looked at Sphinxes and I said, okay, a lot of the lore around them is their <clears throat> divine guardians. They are creatures of the gods. Creatures of gods of wisdom. And oftentimes are high priests. 
So what if this Sphinx was not the leader of like a cult, but like the leader of like a temple, like this open recognized temple and at its head of this temple is this Sphinx who will, you know, lead people in prayer, in direct interventions, you know, divine interventions of stuff. Um, you know, that this Sphinx is a is much more akin to a cleric, like a high-level cleric than it is to a a, a feral animal. A wild animal. <laughs> in like me. <laughs> in pursuant of that, I also didn't change any of its spells really. Mm-hmm. Because I felt that most of its spells, other than its fifth level spell, Legend Lore, I felt were fine. Legend Lore, the only reason I'm a little... I did change it. And I gave him a second one. So he still only has the okay. one spell slot to cast it. The first spell I gave is Commune. This is okay. a high priest. They're going to commune with gods. So Commune made sense. But this is a this is a, a priest of a god that tests those who swear fealty to it. And so I gave it Gaius. Ooh, ooh. You know me, I'm a big fan of that spell. So, you know, my thought process with this, with the Gaius, is that it it's trying it, it uses it not necessarily to force someone to do something for it. You know, it uses it kind of like a rehab. It helps people abstain from certain actions that they want to break habits of. So say you no longer wish to consume sugar like you, you, you know, you want to you want to change your diet. So you want to move to more of a, a plant based raw food diet, you know, the the Sphinx can use a gas spell on you. And now whenever you fall off that diet, it hurts. <laughs> it's psychically. I am just a commoner and I would like to not be cheating on my wife anymore. Here, I cast gas. Don't cheat on your wife anymore. I will not cheat on my wife. Hey, who's that hottie? Walks over. Hey, you want to go to my place? Takes how much damage? Uh, from a gas spell. Uh, you, you do the thing you shouldn't do. 5d10 psychic damage. <laughs> Good old one hit point commoner. Hey, you want to come back to my... (laughs) (laughs) Just dead. I'm casting a spell on you so you will learn the error of your ways. Will I not want to do it anymore? No, you'll still want to do it, but you know that if you do, you'll die. Yeah, exactly. So I gave it gaze, and really I thought this is a creature that, while it can fight... It doesn't want to. It's a talker. It is, you know, the high priest that would rather work with the party or or speak with the party versus, you know, fight the party. But it needs a way to summon its friend, you know, its flock, its following to it. So I gave it the roar action from the Andro Sphinx. So everyone within 500 feet can hear the roar. Oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, if you fight this thing in its temple and its followers are there, 
you're going to have a real big problem real fucking fast. And it can roar three times a day, and each roar actually does something different. Oh. So the first one is a DC 17 wisdom save against Frightened. You fail okay. to save, you're frightened of it. Second roar, DC 17 wisdom save, or you are deafened and frightened. If you are already frightened, you are now paralyzed. Oh, someone didn't wear the brown pants today. <laughs> uh, the third roar is a DC 17 constitution saving throw. On a fail, you take 4d10 thunder damage and are knocked prone. On a successful save, you take half and you're not knocked prone. So, and now mind you, each roar is also going to summon 2d6 gladiators. Oh, 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 we're doing this at level 7. 2d6 gladiators is a lot of gladiators. Well, again, mine is supposed to be a social combat. <laughs> true, very true. Yours is the, oh, you want to fight? Okay, we're fighting. Everyone wants to kill you. Exactly. Everyone, you know, you, you want to fight. Here's a problem. You're about to fight. And in another episode of this arc, we will talk about social combat and how you can structure social combat for specifically this Sphinx as well. Absolutely. Because what we're doing is, yes, only one of these, like maybe an amalgamation of these two, will make it to the playtest. But we're still outlining everything and you're all free to take whichever one that you felt you enjoyed the most or you, you jammed with more and you can play that one. You can work off of that one. Both of these are very valid modules to run. Exactly. Or if you decide you don't like either of our sphinxes and you want to design your own and modify your own, you can absolutely do that as well. It is our goal at the Drunken Dragon Turtle to bring people in so that they can learn from different styles of dungeon mastering and to also be able to see all the tools and like things at your disposal to build your own creation. Exactly. You know, we want to show you, we want you, you know, our target, you know, you, the listener, you know, you've run D&D once or twice. Maybe you've run some Adventure Leagues modules. Maybe you ran your own home game. Maybe you just ran a book. You know, you ran Tomb of Horrors, or you've run Waterdeep, or you've run something, and now you're looking to take your home game and step it up a level. And that's what who we are. We're, you know, we want to talk to those intermediate, those moving to intermediate, moving to advanced DMs, and really show you and give you ideas on how you can elevate your game as a dungeon master to bring a pleasant experience to your players. Ooh, look out. This is the homebrew table. <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of fun homebrew. Hex, yeah, fun homebrews. So, you had the roar. Yes. The roar, which is a lot of fun. Um, legendary actions. I kept it claw attack. I kept the teleport. Um, I kept the cast a spell. Because to me, those make the most sense. Again, the Sphinx's magic is not like yours, where yours is offensive, theirs is defensive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, darkness, suggestion, remove curse, banishment, greater invisibility. Well, it's like there are two separate types of like spell casting when it comes to what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And mine's definitely the offensive without having to use damage necessarily. Right. And your defensive without having to be purely defensive. You, it's like the art of sword play. I'm not 
stabbing you right now, but I am parrying your sword to the side so I can stab you easier, whereas yours is I am parrying to disarm you. Exactly. So it'll be very interesting to see ultimately which Sphinx our playtest goes up against. So those were your legendary actions. Uh, question. Yes. Does it, have, does it have wings? Are you, are you giving it the wings? Uh, mine does not have wings. It does not have a fly speed. What's its movement speed then? Uh, I gave it its normal 40 foot move. And then I gave mm-hmm. it a 40 foot climb speed. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. So, you know, I do it like is a lion. They, they do climb. We have seen them do it. <laughs> but yes, it does not have a fly speed. I also did say uh, I changed slightly inscrutable. Oh, to, okay. How'd you change it? Um, include you can never tell if it's lying. Ooh. It is immune to zone of truth. Ooh. I like that. That's like, ooh. Oh, that is so fun because then you're always going to be leaving whoever is lower than it believing it, mm-hmm. which is dangerous in its own right. I did I did leave it lawful neutral. So it's right. not like, you know, but if it wanted to go bad, if it wanted to be a bad guy, it very easily could. God says that all of you must sacrifice your third, like, brother. Right. This is the law. Mm-hmm. Why, why our third brother? Because reasons. What if I only have one brother? Then you are fine. Oh, okay. You are chosen by God, and therefore you should take the place of the third brother. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and everyone must come to the temple to perform this sacrifice and do it in this very large, totally not bath. This totally not a bowl, which you will all leave and I will consume from when you're gone. Or bathe in. <laughs> I will bathe in all of your blood. The Egyptians actually did that crap, I think. Oh, we're not going to go into that. That 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 That's a rabbit hole and a half. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, with that digression, you have seen our two changes to the Sphinx. You've also seen what we decided to go with lore-wise, and you can kind of get a better understanding for the multiple routes you can take the Gynus Sphinx. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is Fish. I'm Matt. And as always, you are welcome back to the Drunken Dragon Turtle. Anytime, just leave the stool. You are not, no, <laughs> sir, sir, leave the stool. Leave, oh, what's going on my tab? At least it's yours this time, not mine. Ah, I already owe like 500 gold. Thank you for listening to the Drunken Dragon Turtle podcast. Please, 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 if you haven't done so, leave us a review wherever you listen to it. Or if you're able, go to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and leave us a review. That greatly helps us reach a broader audience of people who might enjoy it just as much as you did, if not even more. Our music was created by the talented Molly Elaine Music. You can find her at Molly Elaine Music on Instagram or TikTok. And, of course, our logo was designed by the most benevolent Soph. Otherwise, you can find her at Isoldari, that is I-S-L-E-D-A-R-I on Instagram, where you can find other of her marvelous work. And thank you once again for listening to The Drunken Dragon Turtle. Every episode airs Tuesdays at 5 p.m. CST. You are always welcome back at The Drunken Dragon Turtle. Thank you for listening.